good to be together this morning. It's a brand new year. It's a great uh, new start, a chance to be together again. And man, we're so glad uh, that you're here with us today. It's a, it's a great day to be together to worship uh, King Jesus and to gather together to worship uh, this morning. Uh, this morning we're starting, it's a new year, so we're going to start a new series. It makes sense, it seems like. And so uh, you'll see behind me, and you've seen on your bulletins, I'm sure, this new idea of re uh, becoming the church in the here and now. And, and the reason I just stuck with, a, with re is because I couldn't decide on just one word. There's so many great re words, right? Uh, you've got restart, refresh, renew, redeem, re-everything. Uh, and so I, I thought, you know, every week over the next couple of, uh, of weeks, we want to just pick a different one of those words and talk about maybe what is it that we are trying uh, to do? Who is it we're trying to be? Who do we want to become uh, in this new year, in 2016? Uh, maybe you've thought about this for yourself. It's a brand new year. Jason already mentioned uh, one of the things he's working on or a resolution or a goal. You know, as individuals, we do that. We choose goals. We choose, indiv- uh, we choose uh, things we want to work on and, and do better at in the new year. And I thought, as a church, this is true too. Because we're always in the process of becoming something. So who is it that we want to be and who is it that we want to become as the Riverside Church this year? Uh, when you were in school, maybe in elementary school like I was, did you have this problem? I was the kid uh, when I was, I can't remember exactly, I have to ask my mom, uh, fourth or fifth or sixth grade, I think is kind of when it happened. I started struggling in school, had some trouble and a, my grades started slumping and I wasn't doing as well as I had before. And I'd always been a pretty good student, but it was just really, really hard. And so my parents started trying to figure out what's going on and my teachers trying to figure out what's going on. And finally we get together and we figure out that what the, the, the trouble is, is that I, I can no longer see very well the, the chalkboard where the teacher writes and teaches, you know? And so my parents took me to the eye doctor and they put up this big eye chart. Have you seen this kind of chart right here? Now, how many of you in the back can read the bottom line? And this probably isn't a scale. Yeah, you are all liars. How many of you have memorized the bottom line? And so you know how to lie on this test. That's, that's the better question. Yeah, you go to the, to the doctor's office, the eye doctor. They put up this eye chart and they ask you to cover one eye, then the other eye. And they want to test your vision and see how well you can see or how well you can't see to figure out what prescription you need so that you can see better, right? To fix your vision. And the good news is for most of us, uh, vision can be a pretty easy thing to fix, um, and we know this, vision matters. Uh, being able to see well matters. And it's, it's nice when it's an easy fix. And since that day, I've always worn glasses or contacts and it makes it easier for me to see and uh, to, to be able to get around and do the things I need to do. Uh, vision matters. And we, we understand this principle because when we, when, we, when we can't see, it really causes frustration. And I've had friends, maybe you have too, who've had vision problems that weren't so easy to fix. And, and I don't know what it would be like to have those kinds of problems. I don't know what it would be like to lose my eyesight or my vision. Um, I think that would be really difficult. But what I think would be even more difficult is to lose sight in my life of the things that really count and the things that really matter. We, we know what this is like, right? We know what it's like to lose sight of something. Have you ever done this? Maybe you did this this morning. You're getting ready to come to church. You got everybody dressed, ready to walk out the door, and you can't find your keys, right? And you're looking around everywhere, frantically searching. You're trying to get out the door and you can't remember where you left them. And then you start blaming everybody else in the house because they probably took them and moved them, right? And finally you found them. You retraced your steps and you discover where they are. Or maybe you're like me and you've done this. You're looking everywhere for your glasses, right? And you're searching the whole house. You look in the car, maybe it's your sunglasses and you can't figure out where in the world they are. And then you finally figure out where are they? 
They've been on your head the whole time. Yeah, exactly. You know, we know what it's like to lose sight of stuff that happens all the time. Some of those things aren't very important. They, they kind of make us stressed out in the moment. But we also know what it's like to lose sight of things that are really important, don't we? Uh, parents or maybe teenagers when you babysat, maybe you've experienced this. Have you, ever, have you ever been out in public with your kid? Maybe you're at a store or a ball game or you're just out at a park or whatever. And, and just for what feels like a second, you took your eye off your kid, right? You know the feeling? And then you look back to where they should be and you don't see them. And you look around real quick and you can't find them. And what, what happens in that moment? Your heart sinks, right? Panic strikes. You, you go into like overdrive mode trying to search for your kid because you're out in public and you don't know where they are. And then your mind fills with the worst things that could possibly happen because you've lost sight of maybe the most important thing in your life, your child. I think that's a really scary thing to lose sight of something important. What's, what's even more scary though, if you can imagine this, is what, what happens when we lose sight of something that's really, really, really important, but we're not even aware of it. Have you, have you seen this happen to people you know and love? I know I have. It's, it's that couple that wakes up one morning and they look at each other and they realize for whatever reason, they don't love each other anymore. And they decide they want that divorce. And what's happened? I mean, if you rewind the tape and you go back to their wedding day, you could ask each of them and they would both say it was the happiest day of their life. And that they loved each other and that they would never, you know, be separated. But over the years, they lost sight of something really, really important. They lost sight of each other. They lost sight of their marriage. Or, or maybe it's those parents. And uh, uh, doing youth mystery for a long time, I saw this all the time. Parents wake up one day and their kid is... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and they look at their child and they realize their child doesn't know Jesus. Their child isn't in love with Jesus. And before that child was born, they had prayed for that child, that that child would be safe and come into the world safely and have all 10 fingers and all 10 toes and that God would bless them. And when that baby was born, they were holding him in their arms in the middle of the night, they would pray for that child. But over the years, life just got busy. Things got, you know, all complicated. Sports took over, dance took over, band took over, whatever it was took over and life got distracted and they meant to get to church, but it got hard to get to church and they didn't get to church. And now they show up at church where they're 15, 16, 17 year old and they want the church to fix it. They want the youth minister to do something, but it's not that it's too late, but man, they lost sight of maybe the most important thing that their child would know Jesus and love Jesus. But this doesn't just happen to people, does it? This happens to churches. My family and I just got back from Christmas vacation and we drove from here to Mississippi over to Alabama. Alicia and the kids went up to Atlanta for a day, came back to Alabama, came back all the way here to the Dallas area, to Capel. And, and you, do you know how many churches we passed? The buildings were broken down. Some of them had for sale signs in their front yards. They'd closed their doors. The lights were dim. Power was out. And if you'd ask any of those churches when they started, if, if you were to, to go back and ask the original founding members of that place when they, when they launched that new church, I, I don't think any of them would have even dreamed of the day that church would have died or had to close their doors or sell their building. But along the way, and this, this may not be true of every situation, but I think you and I can make an educated guess that it's true of a lot of churches that we know of, they lost sight. 
Maybe they started looking more inside their four walls and outside their four walls. Maybe they spent more time complaining and arguing with each other than they did reaching and loving the lost. I don't know what it was. You don't know what it was. But they lost sight of something that was really, really important. Or maybe more precisely, they lost sight of someone. They lost sight of Jesus. Have you ever lost sight of Jesus? Even for a moment. I know I have. The good news is for you and for me that if you have ever lost sight of Jesus for any reason, for any time, for any length of time, that you're not the first. In fact, there's a story, uh, we only have one story in all of Scripture about the time between when Jesus was born and the time that he began his public ministry around age 30. There's only one story in the entire Bible about this this in-between time in Jesus' life as he was growing up. It's about when he was 12 years old. And it's a story about a time that Mary and Joseph lost sight of their son, Jesus. And you you may know the story, but I want us to to walk through it again this morning and see what we can learn from maybe the, the two people on the planet that at that moment in time loved Jesus the most and what happened when they lost sight of Jesus. So the story is in Luke 2. It'll be on the screens or you can open up your Bibles with me. Luke 2, and we'll look at verse 41. We'll start there. I want you to hear this story that Luke tells about the time that Mary and Joseph lost sight, literally, of Jesus. In verse 41 of Luke 2, it starts this way. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, you remember, we've talked about this before, that the distance between Nazareth and Jerusalem is some 70 or 80 miles, okay? So this is the distance that, that they're traveling home from Jerusalem. They've been there all, all week for this festival, and now it's time to go home. And they've been traveling, Mary and Joseph have, for an entire day. And during the whole time, they haven't laid eyes on their son, Jesus, but they're not worried yet. Luke goes on, his parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, can, can you imagine this moment for Mary and Joseph? Can, can you ma- imagine the conversation? They get to the end of the day. They haven't seen Jesus. Mary looks at Joseph and said, hey, I, I thought he was going home with you. I thought you had him in your car. And Joseph looks at Mary and says, I thought you had him with you. I thought he was in your car. And, and they realize neither one of them have seen Jesus all day long. Now, moment of confession, parents, have you ever done this? Have you ever left your kids somewhere and you thought the other parent had them? You thought, you know, you got home from church or from the ballpark and you thought he had him and, and he thought she had him. And, and you realize, I'm the worst parent ever. <laughs> I've lost my child. This is how Mary and Joseph are feeling in this moment. Worst parents ever. And Mary's flipping out. I mean, she's going ballistic. She's looking everywhere for her son. She's asking all the relatives, all the friends, all the families that are traveling. Have you seen my son? Have you seen Jesus? He's this tall. He's got this color hair, this color eyes. He's about this big. And nobody's seen Jesus. And meanwhile, Joseph's over here because he's father of the year. And he's setting up the tent. He's getting ready for the night. It's been a long day traveling. been a long week in Jerusalem. He's not worried. I mean, Jesus is 12. He's taught him all that he needs to know. He knows how to find a shelter for the night. He knows how to get food if he needs it. He knows everybody that they've been traveling with. People will take care of him. He'll be just fine. We'll find him in the morning. Mary is over here looking at Joseph like, "Uh, am I going to drag you with me back to Jerusalem? Like, we are going now. I mean, she's worried they've lost their son, but not just their son. They've lost the son of God. Hello. Why isn't Joseph more worried about this moment? You know? So, you know, I can just imagine Mary's darting off in the middle of the night. They've been traveling all day. 
It's probably a 70 or 80 mile trip altogether. They've been walking for an entire day. How far have they gone? I have no idea. Five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, I don't know. And now they're traversing back in the darkness of the night to Jerusalem. Joseph just threw the tent pegs down and he's just walking off all mad looking for his son. And now he's mad at at Jesus because Mary's mad at him. And you just got this whole family thing going on, you know? Story goes on. When they couldn't find him, and, and hang on to that word, find. There's a couple of words I want you to hang on to. They went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days, important note, later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, I want to take a quick time out. This, this really isn't the message for today, but I don't want you to miss this. I think this is too good. Maybe I'm just a, a nerd and I, I like this kind of stuff, but I want you to, I want you to track with me here. In Luke, there's, all, there's, this, there's this, this thing working in the background the whole time. Uh, you, you know this is true. You, you may not realize it, but you know it's true. Uh, for Luke, every time something is lost, it's, it's, it's equal to being dead. And every time something is found, it's equal to something being made alive again. So if you fast forward and you remember Luke's story of the prodigal son, one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, you remember at the end of the story, the father looks at the older son and he's trying to explain why there's a party going on. And he says, there's a party going on because your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. In this story, Luke tells in such a way that Mary and Joseph can't find Jesus because he's lost. In essence, he's dead. Three days go by, does that ring a bell? And then they find, they discover Jesus and he's found, he's alive again. In this story, Luke is already anticipating the greatest story ever told, the time when Jesus would be resurrected and found and anointed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All throughout the gospel story of Luke, he's using this analogy of of lost and found and dead and alive. And he's reminding us that the gospel story isn't, again, for Luke, it's not that you were bad and Jesus came to make you better. It's that you were lost. You were dead in your sin and Jesus came and he makes you alive again. And that's the good news of the gospel. Amen? I don't know. I get excited about that. Verse 48. His parents don't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, and you, you know that tone, right? Why have you done this to us? Three days they've been looking. Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And then Jesus asked this question. He said, why did you need to search? And right here, your Bible may say this. It may say, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And that's the way we've read that passage for a long, long time in that verse. But actually, probably a better translation, and a lot of scholars agree on this now, is that what we should read, and your Bible may say this, Jesus probably responded with this idea. Didn't you realize that I should be involved in my father's affairs? And this is where we have to notice that the location of Jesus isn't nearly as important as the activity of Jesus. And where, when Mary and Joseph find Jesus three days later, they haven't slept, they're exhausted. It's not so much about where he is, it's about what he's doing. And when they find Jesus, he is involved He is busy, he is at work, he is doing the things that his father would have him doing. This is what happens when Mary and Joseph find Jesus. He's involved in, he's busy with what his father wants him involved in and what his father wants him busy with. But Mary and Joseph, probably the two people that love Jesus most on the planet earth, especially at this time, in this moment, When they lost sight of Jesus, 
they were filled with such incredible anxiety and fear. So I want to ask you this morning, do you feel like for any reason today, anxiety rising up within you? Do you have fear about the future? I think what happens for those of us, especially those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus of Nazareth, is that this same thing is true of, of you and me. That, and we may not realize it in the moment, but when we lose sight of Jesus, that's when we become the most anxious and the most fearful. And I think you know this is true because just, just go in your mind for a minute to the people in your life, the people that you know of, who you think are the people who know Jesus best. Maybe they're people who are spiritual heroes in your life or, or that you know of, people that, that, you know, in your mind, it's like yeah, they walk with Jesus every day. You just look at them and you think of them as spiritual people. And if I'm right about them, they're probably some of the most peace-filled people you know. And why is that? It's because they haven't lost sight of Jesus. This is one of the ways you can discover if you've got Jesus in full view in your life. Are you walking around anxious and anxiety-driven? Are you filled with peace, come what may? Because you've got your eyes fixed on Jesus. What happens when you lose sight of Jesus? And what happens when we as a church lose sight of Jesus? This, this is a question I've been, I've been thinking about this week. What happens when we as a church lose sight of Jesus. You see, vision matters because we become what we behold. Think about that for a minute. Vision matters because we become what we behold. A few years ago, I read this article, this study was done. Scientists actually did research on this, this idea that couples, and maybe you can think about it, this is true for the people you know in your life, that couples who've been married for say 30 or 40 or sometimes 50 years, they, they begin to look alike. Now don't look around the room at some older couples in the room, just kind of think about it. You know, couples that have been married for a long time, they tend to resemble each other after being married for a long, long time. And scientists kind of heard about this idea and started digging into it and researching it, and they found that they, they think it's true. And they don't know why it's true. The best they can surmise is that a couple things happen. When you live with somebody every day for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, when you look at someone every day for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you begin to physically resemble them. That may be scary for some of you ladies, and I apologize in advance. <laughs> but they say it, it might be true. And let's just assume that it is true for a moment. That if you spend 30 or 40 or 50 years with somebody, and you do life with them every day, and you look at them every day, what if it is true that you begin to resemble that person? And then what if the person that you and I, and we as a church, decide to set our gaze, to fix our eyes on. What if that person is Jesus? What if? What would that look like? What happens when that doesn't happen? What's the, what's the opposite of that? What happens when you and I and, and us as a, as a fellowship, as a community, as a church, what happens when we, when we together lose sight of Jesus? This is something I was really wrestling with this week, and I was trying to imagine what would happen if this were the case for a church and if this was true for our church. And I don't know the answer, but as I was thinking, I made some notes, and, and just see if you agree with me on this. I'm not saying that, that I'm right about this, 
These are just my, my thoughts that I typed on my iPhone. So see, see if you agree. I was thinking about what, what, what's true of a church that collectively has lost sight of Jesus? I think this is true. We're more focused on us than we are on Jesus. We complain more about our preferences than we do about those who don't know Jesus. Our focus is more inside these four walls than outside these four walls. We spend more time talking about the Bible than practicing the Bible. We're controlled by fear instead of led by faith. We want our way instead of God's way. It's when we put ourselves first for any reason. When our words are hurtful. When we try to control outcomes. When prayer is our last resort instead of our first initiatives. When we put our wants and needs and preferences ahead of others. When we place ultimatums on others in order to get our way. There's probably, you could probably add more. But isn't that a scary reality? What could happen if we as a church lost sight of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of that church. And I want to be a part of a church that fixes its eyes and fixes its gaze on Jesus. And every day as individuals, we're looking at Jesus. And every week we're coming together and we're looking at Jesus. And we decide we want to set our gaze on Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus. And we decide we want to follow hard after God. And we want to know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to let everything else fall to the side as we fix our eyes, center our eyes and our thoughts and our minds and our hearts on Jesus of Nazareth. Think about this. What happens when we do that? This, this is what I want to do for the next few weeks. And today we're just setting up the idea. What I want to do for the next few weeks is, is give you permission and give me permission to dream about, to think about, to, to, to begin to have ideas around this idea of what happens when we as a church set our gaze and fix our eyes on Jesus. In fact, if you could, just even think about it this way. What do we hope would be true of Riverside in 12 months from now if we were to fix our eyes and to fix our gaze on Jesus? What's not true of us now that we want to be true of us in 12 months if we would simply fix our eyes on Jesus. I mean, how many people do we want to reach? How many people do we want to baptize? Not just our children, but people in this community that don't even know Jesus Christ yet. You know? How many, how many countries do we want to be involved in mission work in? How many, how many people in this church, in this body, in this community of believers do we want to send on short-term missions? How much money do we want to give towards missions? How many people, how many students do we want involved in our student ministry, discipleship ministry? How many, how many people, do, how many families do we want involved in our faith at home? How many families do we want to invest in? How many marriages do we want to save? I mean, there's no end to thinking about what could happen if you and I decided that we're going to fix our eyes and fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. And when that's the only thing that matters... When us coming together to know him and to love him and to serve him, when that's the only thing that, when there is nothing that you wouldn't do to help someone else come into contact with Jesus of Nazareth. Man, that's a whole new filter, isn't it? That's a whole new way for us to come together and to come around and to worship Jesus Christ, to set our eyes, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to let him define who we are and who we want to be in the here and now. We are always in the process of becoming. Who do we want to be and who do we want to become? This matters. 
Vision matters because we become like the very thing we behold. And what I want to ask you to do is to to come with me. And let's start imagining. Let's re-envision what life could be like, what this church could be like. How do we want Capel to know Riverside? What do we want to be known for? What could happen if we fixed our eyes on Jesus? The Hebrew writer said it this way in Hebrews 12. How I read it already, and I love this passage. He says it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every single thing that hinders us. And the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When Mary and Joseph found Jesus that day, what was he doing? He was doing what his father wanted him to do. And I think if you and I were to stop and to pause this moment, and we were to ask Jesus of Nazareth, what is your vision for this church? What is your vision for Riverside? You know what I think he would say? I think his vision for Riverside would be this, to come and to join him in what he is already doing for the good of the church and the glory of his name. Church, please stand. What I want to ask you to do, and this is your assignment, this is your homework for today and for this week, so come back next week with uh, papers in hand. In prayer, and that's the most important part, because if you skip that part, then you miss the whole deal. In prayer, begin to think about, begin to dream about what could be true of us as a church if we were to fix our eyes and set our gaze on Jesus. And ask Jesus to, to speak to you. And I don't know how that works, but just ask him to communicate with you somehow on your heart and in your life what he wants for us, what he's dreaming for us, what he, want, what he wants to be true of us this year if we would set our eyes and fix our gaze on him. Let's worship.